But we, I was up at the school a lot this weekend, actually. Uh, the high schoolers did their high school musical at Eastern York. They did the production Matilda. And let me just say, before I get into the message, we have so many talented students in this church. And so, so many of the cast and crew and uh, Pitt were made up of students from our church. I was just beaming all weekend, just with pride. So exciting. Uh, but because two of my daughters were in the production, we, we ran the gauntlet of all four shows this weekend. So I did the math while I was sitting there. I spent well over 10 hours in the Performing Arts Center this weekend between Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And let me tell you, I had a lot of time to pray about our Easter services in the Performing Arts Center. Like, I, I, you know, I could see it. I could see it. All the people were there. And, and I thought, man, this is going to be awesome on Easter Sunday. In fact, I have a picture of the Performing Arts Center. This is where we're going for Palm Sunday and for Easter Sunday. That means next week will be our last service here. And then for the next two Sundays, we'll be there. And, and I just believe we're going to see in the natural what I've been seeing in my spirit. We're believing for over 2,000 guests for the Egg Fest and on Easter Sunday morning. We're believing God to see 800 people to fill up that room. And not just 800 people to fill it up, but 50 salvations on that day. Would anybody believe with me for that? Amen. That's what we're believing for. Here's what I want to say to you about that. It's, it can happen. It's going to happen. And it's not going to take a miracle. But it will take obedience. Hear, hear that today. Because here's what we do. I'm talking to church folks now. We, we believe in a God of miracles. Amen? God can do miracles, and if you need a miracle today, let me tell you, the miracle department is fully stocked. God's not short on miracles, but we like to believe God for miracles sometimes because it's a whole lot easier than walking in obedience. Let me just meddle for a moment. If, if it's a, we've got some people in this church that are, that are battling incurable diseases. Our hope of healing is in the name of Jesus. And it doesn't even have to be big and impossible and incurable. Our hope is in Jesus, but, but some of you, and I'm not looking at anybody individually, but some of you, you're asking God for a physical healing, but you won't listen to your doctor's orders. You don't take the medication you're prescribed when you're supposed to take it. You don't eat right. You don't exercise. You won't take care of yourself. And then crisis comes and you go, oh God, I need a miracle. Uh, since I've lost you already, let me go ahead and go a little farther. Some of us do this with finances. Now I really lost you. You say, oh, God, I need a breakthrough. God say, no, you need a budget. Like, stop spending money you don't have. But how many of you know it's easier to ask for a miracle than to walk in obedience? So this is not, not going to take a miracle. The miracle part is what the Holy Spirit's going to go before us and do. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says no one seeks God unless the Spirit draws them. No one, we can't save anyone. That's, that's, that's the Father's work through the Holy Spirit. But, but our part, our part's just simple obedience. Now listen, I'm not contending today that you shouldn't pray for miracles. You should. We should pray and ask God to do miracles. What I am saying is let's not 
ask God to do for us what he's already asked us to do for him. We're sent. We're sent. We have an assignment. We have a purpose that God has given us in the earth. And so I wanna launch into this two-part message with the Great Commission. Many of you could quote it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We'll put it on the screen so you can see it. Jesus speaking, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can I just remind the church that as we approach Easter and all the talk is about Easter and the stores are changing their decorations and the weather's getting nicer, let me just remind the people of God today, Easter already came. Like, we, we do know what happens, right? Like, we're ahead of the game on this. And so while we're looking forward to Easter, I wanna remind us of what our responsibility is as we approach Easter. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and John records this in John chapter 20, in verse 19. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were all together with the doors locked because of fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came in and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now pay attention to verse 21 here. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Christian pro tip here, the best Easter celebration is the one you walk into in obedience. Like, it's just, gonna, it's just gonna be a better day, I can promise you, when we walk into it with obedience. So for the next couple weeks, what I wanna do is just look at who he sent us to. The work that God wants to do in this world, the work that he is doing in this world. Number one, if you're a note taker, it begins with you. I know that sounds a little contradictory to say God sent you to you, but bear with me for a moment. Jesus said this about all of the commands of God's word. He consolidated it to two. He said the greatest command in Mark 12, he said the greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he said, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus said, here's the great, here's the great truth. The second command is as great as the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most of us, we don't have any trouble loving our physical selves, right? That's why, that's why things like fasting are so hard to do because it's our natural instinct to fulfill our desires. If I'm hungry, I'm gonna eat. If I'm thirsty, I'm gonna get something to drink. But I wonder how attentive you are to the care of your spiritual condition. Because Jesus said the way that I'm calling you to love the world is gonna be reflected first in how you love yourself. Here's what I've come to realize. If you're careless about your relationship with God, you'll never be concerned for anybody else's. That is good. Somebody ought to agree with that in a packed house on a Sunday morning. I assume you were writing it down. Here's what, here's what Romans says in Romans chapter four. Paul the apostle is talking about Abraham, the father of our faith, Old Testament. 
He's talking about Abraham, and here's what he says about Abraham, because Abraham was called by God, and he fully obeyed. Verse 21 of Romans 4 says, being fully persuaded. Could you just say those two words with me? Fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's Abraham. Fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised to do. And then I love this because Paul then, he goes a little farther and he says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And then he explains, the words credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He's preaching the Easter sermon now. Verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. I wonder on a Sunday morning, is anybody here fully persuaded about that? Come on, are you fully persuaded? We're doing this fasting season right now as a church, 21 days of fasting and prayer and and seeking the Lord, and the reason that we're doing it is because we wanna draw close to God. The reason that we're doing it is because the word of God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Because Hebrews eleven six says, we have to believe that God is a rewarder of those that seek him with all of their hearts. Like, do you actually believe that? That God rewards those that seek him? That this is worth your, your hour this morning? That it's worth your devotion in the week? That it's worth your prayer time? That if you seek God, you get the reward? And did you know that the reward for those that seek him with all their heart is him? He, he is the reward. It's not frequent flyer miles. It's not preferential parking on a packed out Sunday. He is the reward of our seeking we have to have a desire for that because we're gonna love others the way we love ourselves, And we have to cultivate that in this. Evangelist Gypsy Smith was asked the question one time, what's the secret to revival? Here's what he told him. He said, go home, take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around yourself and then pray this prayer. Oh Lord, Revive everything in this circle. Come on, how many of you know that's a, that's a good strategy for revival? I mean, it's, it's so easy to just look at what God's doing uh, in, in the nations and even in this nation and say, God, thank you for what you're doing over there. Thank you for what you're doing over here. But a good prayer for revival is God, send revival to everything in this circle. In, in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, the word of the Lord says, if my people... Those in the circle. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, not the government's wicked ways, not the the pagans' wicked ways. If my people called by my name will get in the circle and humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins and I will heal their Land. So for some of us, this, this 21 days of fasting and prayer is just about getting back in the circle. In fact, I want to challenge some of you because you just need a, a, a hack for spiritual discipline. You ought to just set your alarm to 714. 
And it happens twice a day, by the way. And every time that alarm goes off, just let it be a reminder that, to get in the circle. Say, God, I feel a call. it's a prayer call. Lord, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to pray. Can I ask you to just consider for a moment today, is your desire for God above everything else? And there's nothing wrong with everything else, by the way. Thank God he's a blesser, right? I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people, they have like a, a guilty conscience about the goodness of God. You, you don't have to apologize for God's blessing. You don't have to take a vow of poverty to be holy. No, nobody's holy by subtraction, okay? You can wear the makeup. <laughs> don't know why I went there, but feels like the wrong crowd for that. But. <laughs> God wants to be the absolute desire of our heart. When, when Paul was talking about, when he was talking about the blessing of God to a young pastor, Timothy, he said about those that are rich, those that are wealthy, he said they're to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, like God blessed you for your enjoyment. You don't have to apologize for that. Enjoy it. But, but here's the danger in it. Here's the trap that we can, in our thankfulness and in our gratitude for God's goodness in our lives, we have to be careful that we don't end up loving the gifts more than the giver. It's possible that we could lose or, or love everything that God blesses us with. I'm talking about your health and your wealth, your possessions people, friends, family, everything that God blesses you with. We can so love those things, but actually not love the God who gave them to us. It's possible. Imagine you're on a boat, a tiny little boat, in the middle of the sea, and the storm comes against you, and you feel like you're going to sink, and the rain is pelting you, and the boat's starting to sink, and this is the end of the story. You're all by yourself. You, you've got no other out. And then all of a sudden, you see a giant vessel over the waves. And it's coming near to you. And it gets right up next to your tiny little boat. And then the sailors, they throw out lines and they hoist you up out of the water. And now you're saved. You're rescued. Let me ask you a question. Now that you're rescued, does that mean you love the captain of that ship? Maybe. Maybe but maybe not. See, it's possible, especially for us today in the American church, to love rescue and not love the rescuer. It's, it's not a hard sell to get people excited about a gospel ship that's saving us from eternal damnation. Like, we like that story. Good offer. I'm in. But you have to evaluate your life and say, like, if, if I... If I never really spend much time with God, if I never really meditate on his word, if I'm pretty haphazard about serving him, if I never talk to anybody about him, you have to ask yourself the hard questions. Do I really love God for who he is or am I just really appreciative of what he's done? If ever we're gonna fulfill the commission, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we have to first be taken by the gospel. There has to be an obsession 
There has to be a passionate love. Paul had it in Philippians chapter one. Paul said, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In fact, two verses later, he said, to be with Christ is better by far. Like he, he wasn't caught up in, in, in the Roman dream. He wasn't, he wasn't caught up in, in the desire to, to, to just build a, a happy life for himself. He said, it's better by far if I could just be with God. David said it like this in Psalm 27. He said, one thing that I ask of the Lord, one thing do I desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty and seek the Lord in his temple. He's talking about the passion of his heart. Jesus talked about it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14, look at this verse. Verse 25 says, a large crowd was traveling with Jesus and turning to the crowd, he said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciples. Now, before any of you grab your keys and head for the door, understand Jesus was using hyperbole. He was not saying, don't love your spouse. He was not saying, don't love your children. Don't honor your parents. What he was saying is, your love and your passion for me should be so red hot that every other love, even the most significant relationships in your life, should feel like hatred compared to your love for me. That's what I'm calling you to. And he says in the next verse, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. I don't know how this reads to you this morning, but it sounds to me like a radical obsession with Jesus is how the Bible defines normal Christianity. I heard someone ask a question. It challenged me. I hope it'll challenge you. If Jesus were to appear at the foot of your bed tonight and say to you, I'm gonna answer every prayer you prayed last week. Here's the question. Would there be more people in the kingdom tomorrow than there are tonight? It's a convicting question. So we gotta ask ourselves, like, is my heart beating for the things that God's heart beats for? Am I really driven to seek and save the lost, because our heart is not gonna be enamored with the gospel for other people if it's not first enamored with the gospel that rescued us. So it starts with us. Everything God wants to do for the nations, it starts with you, it starts with me. Let me give you a second group of people that we're called, we're sent to. And that's your family. Your family. Those that are closest to you. Now, I know that feels kind of obvious. I mean, it almost seems like if, if anybody would get saved, if anybody would come to the realization that Jesus forgave their sins, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, they're gonna spend an eternity now in glory. It would only seem obvious that your family would be the first group of people that you would talk to about. But I wanna press into this because I've discovered something to be true and my gut feeling says you have too. And it's this, the Great Commission is oftentimes easier to obey with people that are far away than with those that are close. Because the people that know you the best have seen you at your worst. It's easier 
to be missional with people that don't know you. And, and the Bible actually bears this out. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. In Genesis, God called Joseph through a dream. He woke up, he was excited. God had spoken to him, he had a purpose, he had a destiny, he was gonna fulfill that destiny. And so he went to his brothers and he told them about the dream that God gave him. Look at this verse, Genesis 37 verse five says, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. I wonder if anybody here has felt like that before. Like, yeah, you know, my family's not quite excited about the things God's doing in my life. Like, they just, they didn't, they weren't as excited as I was. Can I just tell you, if that's you, you're not alone. Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus, the son of God. The Bible says this in John chapter seven, verse five. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Like, you think it's hard to, to get excited about, you know, what God's doing in Joseph's life. I mean, you know, imagine being his brother. Oh, you, dad gave you this special code and you're like the, the favorite son and, and they were jaded about that. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to be Jesus' little brother, okay? You talk about an inferiority complex. Like, n- nobody can match Jesus intellectually. I mean, the Bible says when he was 12 years old, he was astounding the scholars in the temple. So, you know, how was your day at school? You know, who wants to follow his story? Or even on a moral level, he was flawless. Think about it. Jesus' little brothers never had the privilege, the younger brother right of saying, it wasn't me, Jesus did it. (laughs) Right? Like, you know, Mary and Joseph's like, now you're lying. You, you broke the vase, and now you're lying. How'd you know? We always know. Jesus is perfect. Why can't you act more like your brother? Right? Now, whether they said that or not, we know the feeling had to be there. I mean, how do you, how do you live up to a standard of a perfect son? Matthew 13, verse 57 says in the latter part, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own home. I wonder how much pain he felt when he said that out loud. The rejection of just knowing like, man, my own family. I mean, he's been, he's been, he's been influencing them, leading them, modeling for them what it looks like to follow God for like 20 or 30 years and still, they don't believe. Can, can I just say, I think this snapshot of the family dynamic in Jesus' life is there for our encouragement. Because some of us were in the same place. You got family that you're like, man, I, I wish they'd get saved. I wish they'd come to know the Lord. I wish they'd come to, to join me for an Easter service. They don't wanna hear it. In fact, that's what they tell me. I don't wanna hear it. And you feel that, and I believe this is an encouragement that is laced within the the story of the Gospels. In Mark chapter three, verse 21, his brothers actually said this about him. They said, he's out of his mind. Maybe you've had family say that about you. Like that, that's the only explanation. He's lost it, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He's, He's out of his mind. Here's the good news, after the resurrection, when the apostles gathered in Jerusalem to pray, 
for 10 days. The Bible says in verse 14 of Acts 1, they all joined constantly together in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. His brothers came around. Finally, they came around. They they didn't believe him when they grew up with him. They didn't believe him uh, in the early years of adulthood. They didn't believe him in his three and a half years of ministry. But finally, Easter happened. They, They saw the empty tomb. They saw the resurrected Lord. And it changed everything. In fact, one of Jesus' brothers, James, said this about him. He wrote one of the epistles, and James described Jesus as our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. Not my, not my big bro. Our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. Those brothers became leaders in the church. They became martyrs for the faith. I just want to launch the question for your heart today. What if the resurrection changes everything for your family this year? Come on, don't lose hope. Maybe it's been 20 years. Maybe it's been 30 years. Maybe you've been praying and seeking God and believing and nothing's happened. Don't give up your scent, first and foremost, to your family. Let me tell you a third group quickly we're sent to. That's our neighbors. We're sent to our neighbors. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus is commissioning here again the disciples. And he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then he says, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's the thing about that commission. Sometimes it's easier to go to the ends of the earth than it is to go to the ends of the street. (laughs) Because listen, I've done a lot of like short-term missions trips with teenagers and young adults and senior adults. And, and here's what I've noticed about everybody that goes on a short-term missions trip. Everybody that, that sends out the letters and gets support and buys the plane ticket and takes the flight and wears the T-shirt, we're all radically committed to the Great Commission, right? I mean, nobody gets there and they're like, should we tell people about Jesus? No, we're all in. So it's a lot easier to just say, let's go to the ends of the earth than it is to go to the end of the street. It's a lot different when you're in class with those people like five days a week. It's a lot different when you work on the same floor as them or or when you see them in the break room every day. And the reason that we push back from recognizing the call to the nations, beginning with neighbors, is because we know before I ever open my mouth, before I ever offer an invitation, my life has already been a witness. For good or bad, it's been a witness. I've testified about something. And so Acts 1.8 is not just the mission of the church, it's the method. He said it starts in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes on you and it starts where you live. If they weren't in Jerusalem, he wouldn't have said Jerusalem. He said it starts right here. It starts right now. It starts with those that are within your sphere of influence. It begins with those closest to you. It's interesting, the first missionary, Christian missionary, that we see in the Bible, it's not one of the disciples. It's not an apostle. It's not a religious leader. It's not even a person that's been saved for more than a few minutes. The story's in Mark chapter five. The Bible says Jesus crosses the lake to the Gerasenes region, and and there's a man there who had been possessed with demons. And Jesus cast the demons out of the man. 
changes his life right then. It's all he came for. And so then it says in, in Mark 5, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. Now listen, if you've never read this story before, all of us would assume that the next verse is gonna say, and Jesus said, well, get in the boat. The more the merrier. That's what I'm here for. I want you to be with me. The guy begs him, let me go with you. Those demons ruined my reputation in this town. Everyone's seen me naked, right? Like, that's what the Bible says. He ran around, no clothes on, chains. He broke the chains. Like, I, I should probably just go with you now. And so, you know what? A lot of people are that way. That's why a lot of people travel so far to go to church. You know, it's like, those people don't know me. Look at the next verse. Jesus did not let him go. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis, that means 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. Notice this, and all the people were amazed. This, this is evangelism 101 right here. This is the plan. It's right here in this verse. Number one, Go to your own people. Number two, tell them how much the Lord's done for you. How many people are like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could, you know, do missions. I don't know if I could do evangelism. Like, I don't know if I could, you know, eat the food in those countries. No, no, go to your own people. I don't know if, if, if God calls me to, to go to the foreign nations. I start where you're at. Start where you're at. Or, or how many times do we make the excuse and go, Man, I, you know, I just... Gosh, I struggle with memorization. I don't, I don't really know what verse to share. Tell them what the Lord did for you. That's what he said. Go to your own people. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he had mercy on you. And here's the result. All the people were amazed. They were amazed. Robert Frost, in his poem, Mending Walls, said this, good fences make good neighbors. You know, a lot of us Americans, we live by that motto. Good fences make good neighbors. I heard somebody say recently that, that garage doors are like the drawbridges of our society. They're like modern-day drawbridges. You think about it, you know, like you're pulling into the driveway, hit the little button, and the, the drawbridge comes down as the garage door goes up, and you drive into your little castle and click that button, and no one shall pass, you know, like... like it shuts behind us. We keep everybody out, build our fences high. And oftentimes, those fences become the barriers to us living by a much greater motto. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Sometimes the fence that we, that we build is not even, a phys, it's not even a physical fence. Sometimes the fence that we build is an attitude that we have towards people. It's, it's a prejudice that we have towards them. I don't know if you experience this, but I actually experience this quite often. Uh, not because uh, of, of my looks or because the color of my skin or anything like that. I experience prejudice because of my occupation. I'm, I'm just gonna tell you, like being a pastor is weird sometimes, like, it really is. It's weird. I, I, I told you I spent a lot of time this weekend at the high school watching all the productions. And uh, 
and, you know, people know I'm a pastor, and, you know, we've had kids in, in school together over the years, and, and people are funny. Pastor Chris, aren't they funny? Like, you can tell by their countenance, by their disposition. I don't know what weird Hollywood interpretation they watched a movie about and, and, and presumed that this is who I am, but they get weird. Here. So here, here's, what, here's what I discovered, and here's what I loved about this weekend. I loved just bragging to parents about how awesome their kids were. I, I loved just being like, you, and, and you know, even if I had to like look up their kid's name in the program, because I couldn't remember. I'm like, I'm, I just, and your son is so, he, he killed it up there. He's so awesome, man. Your daughter is so amazing. And it's awesome to see the, the complexion change. Their, their, their disposition changes, their posture changes. They, re, they relax. It was going to be this weird, like, what did they think I was going to say? Hey, turn or burn, buddy. You know? Like, I don't know. I don't know what you were expecting. How you doing? Great job. You need Jesus. You know? But it's amazing how the fence starts coming down when we love people. Just love people like we love ourselves. Sometimes it's not, it's not our attitude or our prejudice towards them. Sometimes the fence that we erect is, is just the pace that we keep. We're just so stinking busy. You know, you know who you are. You hit the button to lower the drawbridge half a block away. You're like, you go flying into your driveway and it barely clears the roof rack and you're whoop, I'm in. And you hit it again, lower the bridge, you know. Hit the button and the back end of your car just barely sneaks in and that's it. Like nobody sees you, you're like a flash, you know, to the mailbox and back. I hope some of you will be strategically landscape evangelists this spring. Like, because this is the first time you've seen your neighbors in like five months, right? You're like, oh man, people are gonna start mowing the yard. I gotta be strategic and get my witness in while they're outside. Sometimes we just miss the moments because we're so busy. As the worship team comes, I, I want to tell you a story about a man named Charles Peace. He was a notorious criminal in England, and he was executed for his crimes on February 25th, 1879. But just before his execution, an Anglican minister half-heartedly read to him from the consolation of religion. He was just doing his job. So he opens the little book, and he begins to read to Charles. He says, those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. But right there, Charles stopped the minister. And he said these words. He said, sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on my hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one person from the eternal hell that you describe. That story ought to cause something on the inside of us to shake a little. 
Are we really obsessed with the rescuer? Or have we just got to the place that we just like the idea of rescue? Are we really grateful for the blessings? Or are we seeking the blesser? Because everything that God wants to send us to do begins with what he's done in us, what he's doing in us. It's not going to take a miracle, but it will always take obedience. So I've asked the worship team to come and just to just offer back to the Lord the words we were singing earlier. Here I am. Here I am. You can have it all. I'm available to you, Lord. And in these closing moments, I just want to take a moment that, that for all of us individually to pray. Would you stand with me if, if you're able just to honor the Lord's presence right now? I, I told you that the, the, the message that was shared at the end of worship earlier was, it was an accurate word from the Lord. The Lord was saying, make yourself available. In fact, the Holy Spirit highlighted a thought that wasn't in my notes. Let me remind you what was shared. Some of you this week are going to have an opportunity. Take it. Can I, can I just encourage you? Like, I, I, love, I love planning events and stuff, but I'm not an... I'm, if I wanted to be an event coordinator, I would have answered the call to join the YMCA. Like, I'm a pastor. And so here, here's, my, here's my concern. Like, I love doing events and I like casting vision and getting people excited about events. And we should. It's a great opportunity to love people in Jesus' name. But if the next thing on the calendar becomes the excuse for disobeying what God's telling you to do today, can I just encourage you? We're about to pray. We're about to pray that God's going to use us as witnesses, that God's going to use us to invite people to join us up at Eastern York High School. But before we pray about that, can I just challenge you today that if God opens a door for you to tell somebody about Jesus, don't tell them about the egg fest. Tell them about Jesus. Come on. How many of you know it's about the gospel? Before all this, hey, they'll enjoy Easter more if they come in as Christians than if they come in as confused lost people. So you go ahead and get them saved now, all right? Let's not make it about whatever our thing might be. It's always about Him. So God, today, I just thank you that you're challenging our hearts, you're challenging our lives to just look at those that we we love the most those in our family, our friends, our neighbors. And God, I, I pray that there is a I pray that there is a holy irritation today. You don't call us to be comfortable. I pray there is a holy irritation today that, that we would feel that 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 frustration that's I, I gotta I gotta Invite them again. I got to say something. I got to 
be more intentional in the way that I love them, the way that I care for them, the way that I show Jesus to them. But I thank you that your Holy Spirit is shaking your church today. So God, we just respond in this moment. We ask you again, Lord, would you use us? Lord, we right now draw the circle around ourselves. And we pray, Lord, would you revive everything in this circle? Come on, in your spirit, right where you're standing, just, just begin to draw the circle by faith and just say, God, revive my heart. Lord, I, I want to be... I want to be obsessed with Jesus, what he's done for me. Thank you, Lord God, for rescuing me. Jesus, thank you. Let it change my life. Let it change my conversation. 